Okay, that's what it was for. Let me ask a question. How many of you believe Jesus is actually going to return? Do you believe that? Last couple of weeks we've talked about that, and I want to wrap it up today with one more time, and I'm going to call this caught by surprise. Jesus talked a lot about that, caught by surprise. So let's look at Matthew 24 up here, and starting at verse 33, here's what Jesus said. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows. So why do we set dates? Because Jesus said, no one knows, right? Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he goes into an example, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the very day that Noah entered the ark. And watch this. No one knew. No one had gotten it until the flood came and took them all away. Though they had been listening to 120 years of preaching from Noah. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, he gives another example. Two men are going to be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also, read the next two words with me real loud, be ready. That's the gist of what he's saying. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour. You're not expecting Him. You're going to be caught by surprise. Most of the earth will be caught by surprise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We pray that You will put this Word in our innermost innermost, that we would really understand the times. And Lord, that we would purify ourselves and be ready for your return. And we thank you for this blessed hope, this living hope of your search and return to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll preach a little bit. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's coming soon. He is coming soon. Now, the last two weeks, we've talked about Jesus' reply to three questions asked him by the disciples. Remember, they had been in the temple, and, and uh, they came out of this temple, which was a magnificent, one of the wonders of the world. It was huge and architecturally staggeringly beautiful. Uh, it was the second temple. It was the rebuilt temple, but it had been undergoing about 46 years of renovation by King Herod. So it had become an incredible thing to see. So the disciples are all blown away by it, and they leave the temple, and, and they turn to Jesus and say, can you believe that thing? Now I'm paraphrasing, but can you believe the beauty of that temple? And Jesus wheeled around and said, do you see that temple? Not one stone is going to be left upon another. It's coming down. 
is going to be destroyed. They're staggered by this. They said, what? And then they asked the questions. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your return and of the end of the age? So the disciples understood something. They understood that what Jesus said would happen, the temple would be destroyed. But they also understood that he would one day return. And they also understood that there would be an end of all things. There would be an end of the age. Jesus didn't refute either question. He answered them. And you know what he did? He spent two whole chapters answering these questions. Chapter 24 of Matthew and chapter 25. Two whole chapters of a beautiful prophetic discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse. But Jesus just became this, well, he always was, but he, he slipped into major prophetic gear and told of the future, just laid out a map of the future to the end of time. Heavy stuff. And he gave some general signs, and I've told you about those general signs. He said, you're going to see famines, earthquakes, pestilences, false Christ, false prophets, great deception. These various things are going to happen. And when he did that, he's, it's not like he was saying, those things aren't going to happen until I am about to return because we've always had earthquakes and pestilences and false Christs and, and all these different things. But he said it's going to be like a woman in labor. As I return, as I prepare to return, as my return draws near, you're going to see these things increase in frequency and increase in intensity. They're going to happen on a multiplied plane. They're going to happen squared. You're going to see these things happen like a snowball turning into a, an avalanche. So they're going to increase suddenly, obviously, visibly before my return. And then the new baby is going to be born. And the new baby is the kingdom of God. When he comes to earth, returns to earth, and establishes his messianic kingdom and rules the earth with a rod of iron and a scepter of righteousness. This world is one day going to be ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, returned to this planet. That's what he said. And then he mentioned two other sides. He said, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, we saw the days of Noah were filled with violence. They were filled with people apostatizing away from the faith. There was great wickedness, great evil in the days of Noah. Violence covered the earth in the days of Noah. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, that's the way it's going to be when I return. Right before I return, the earth is going to be that way. And then he mentioned Lot. Well, the only thing you can see about Sodom is that sexual perversion was socially sanctioned and amen and accepted before the fire fell on Sodom. Jesus said that's the way it's going to be in the days before I return. So we're going to see, as we are right now, sexual perversion uh, be socially acceptable and socially sanctioned and amen by a worldwide society. And we're on a fast track to that right now. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, so shall it be in the days before I return. Now, if you look at the entirety of Jesus' response to the three questions, uh, you'll find that you can break it down into three parts. He emphasized 
three different things that we really need to look at today. In chapter 24, he gives us the signs of his return. Here's what you can look for. These are going to be signs. And when you see these signs happening and multiplying, you can know that I'm near at the door. Later in chapter 24 and beginning into chapter 25, Jesus looked back to Noah's generation and the city of Sodom. Both were caught by surprise by God's judgment. Then he looked forward and gave us several scenarios of what it will be like when he returns. And all of them had to do with people being caught by surprise, taken by surprise. First, he gives us the individuals we just read about. Two men working in a field. Suddenly, one is gone and the other is left. The one remaining was caught by surprise. He was unprepared. Two women grinding at the mill, working together, probably friends. Suddenly, one is taken and the other is left. The one left was taken by surprise. Jesus' whole gist is it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be sudden. When I return, most of the earth is not going to be ready. They're going to be caught by surprise. He followed up that little example with three parables. The first parable has to do with a householder who goes on a journey and leaves his servants in charge until he returns. And I'm talking about that parable today in just a moment. The second parable is about a man traveling to a far country and he leaves his goods and the goods are called talents in the parable. He leaves talents with the servants and he returns and one of them is unprepared. The third parable is about ten virgins who go to a wedding and they're waiting for the bridegroom. When he appears, five are ready and five are caught totally by surprise unprepared. So you see a theme happening here. Jesus gives example after example of people who were not prepared, who were caught by surprise. He first gave us the signs to look for, and then he said, here's my concern. My concern is all the people who are going to be caught by surprise, who are going to be caught unprepared. So he talked about it and talked about it and hit it from several different angles. And finally, he finishes his prophetic discourse, and the third emphasis he makes is how to live your life wisely before his return. So to answer the questions, in a nutshell, here's what Jesus answered. He answered the disciples' questions with the signs of his return, how to be ready for his return, and how to live wisely before his return. And then he ended it. Chapter 24, chapter 25. Now I want to talk about the second part caught by surprise, being ready for his return. Jesus said, therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour you don't expect. Now, I guarantee you, if he said that, it's what's going to happen. When he comes, people are not going to have expected it. It's going to be a shock. It's going to be a startling thing. Every eye shall see him and those who pierced him and every tribe and ethnicity of the earth is going to mourn because of him. John wrote in the Revelation. Now, when he gave the signs, he ended the signs by launching into the first parable. The first parable is about a householder who goes away on a journey, and it contains two main characters, and it's very easy to remember this, two main characters are a wise servant and a wicked servant. 
a, a good servant and a lazy servant, a servant that's, that's ready for his return and a servant that's not ready for the master's return. So you've got a household. The master leaves. And let's read what Jesus said. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their meat at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he returns, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. Now, what I just read to you is jam-packed with powerful revelation, as everything was that Jesus said. Now, let's, let's just break the parable down. It's very easy. In the parable, there is a household and a master of the house. The master of the house leaves for a long time, and he leaves his servants in charge of his house. Now, it's easy to see what the parable is talking about because the master of the house is Jesus Christ. Because didn't Jesus get crucified, buried, rose from the dead, met with his disciples, appeared to many people for many, many days, and then met with his disciples one last time? And when he was done meeting with them, the Bible says he was taken up into the clouds as they watched and disappeared. And then an angel was standing there. And the angel said, why are you looking up? He said, the same one who ascended is going to descend again in the same way. The angel said he's going to return. Now get about kingdom business. That's the gist. So in this parable... You have Jesus, the master of the house, leaving the household for a long time. Now, the household is God's family. It's his church. It's you and me. It's, turn to your neighbor and say, it's you. You're the household. And, and the household is worldwide. The household is comp com comprised of hundreds of millions of people. We are all who are blood-bought who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, are the children of God, and we make up God's household. And the master of the house has gone away for a long, long time, 21 centuries now. Now, he left it in charge of a servant. The faithful servant is primarily directed at church leaders, okay? But it could also include all believers for every believer is a minister. Now, let me tell you something you may not know. You are a minister. That is, you are one who can dispense the good things of the kingdom of God. You have a treasure in earthen vessels, and God wants you, not just me, but you as well, to get out there and minister the life and the reality of Jesus Christ to people everywhere. Okay? Matter of fact, let me show you that you're a minister. You say, well, I, didn't, I just got saved. I'm no minister. Oh, yes, you are. When you go home today, look at yourself in the mirror and say hello to a minister. Okay? Listen to Peter. Each of you should use whatever gift you have. Now, what, how many do you think each comprises? How, mu how much is each? Is it half? Is it some? Is it most? What's each? It's the person on your right. It's the person on your left. It's the person in front of you and the person behind you. It's everybody who is in God's household has a gift. This is one of the callings of our church. It is to, to see you grow in the things of God and begin to minister what God has put into your heart. Minister the truth of the gospel. 
And so listen to what Peter said. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So when I got saved, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit put a gift in us. It might be prayer. It might be preaching, teaching. It might be exhorting. It might be encouraging. It, it might be giving. Uh, there, there are many, many various gifts, he says, that are given to us in various forms by God's grace. And we are to minister that grace and that gift to members of God's household while the master is still gone. So there's no sitting, soaking, and souring in the pew for a real believer who understands who they are. God hadn't called us to sit, soak, and sour. He has called us to reach others with the life that he has put inside of us. Hey, listen, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. And so we've got a gift. And then he says, meet. He said, when the master returns, he wanted to see, he was looking for the members of his household ministering or administering meat to others in God's house. Now, what is the meat? It's very simple. The meat is the spiritual things of God. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm giving you meat in God's house. As a matter of fact, I pray that it's equivalent to a Del Frisco T-bone or a salt grass T-bone. <laughs> Somebody said, there you go. See, I'm giving you the meat in God's house. I'm giving you the meat of the Word of God. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And so right now you're receiving life from the Word of God. I'm administering meat, but I'm not the only one that's supposed to do it. Now, you being blessed and you being filled are to go out and minister, administer meat or the things of God to others in God's household. And Jesus said, blessed is that servant who, when the master returns, is found so doing. Doing what? Ministering the grace and the life and the love of God to members of the house. This ought to be not a big gossip fest or a slander fest in church. We're not called to tear one another down or to criticize or to gossip against one another. We're called to build one another up in the love of Christ until we grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's the will of God. Somebody said, the church has a grapevine that Ernest and Julio Gallo would envy. Y'all don't know that Ernest and Julio Gallo make wine. Grapevine, that one went over like, we'll edit that out. <laughs> Last night they got it. They must be freer or more worldly or something. So watch this. You're a minister in God's house. And one day the master is going to return. And what does he want to find you doing? Ministering meat, administering the meat, the good things of the Spirit of God to the house of God, to other people, because the Lord is all about people. And he didn't bless you just for you, and he didn't bless me just for me, but he blessed us so that we could become a blessing to others. The Dead Sea is dead because water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. The Sea of Galilee is alive because water flows in and water flows out. When God blesses you and me, he wants the water to flow in and then the water to flow out. He wants to make you and me a blessing to other people. Okay? And I really do believe that 
until you start blessing others and ministering to others in whatever capacity God's given you, whatever door he opens, then, then until you do that, you're only experiencing half of the blessing of Christianity. I can't tell you how many times I've stepped into the pulpit battling one thing or another, and just ministering to you is therapy for me. It, it sets me free. Just giving what God has given to me. So take, take the T-bone and go out and share it. Amen? The wise servant is providing me to the other servants in the house. He's busy with his Christian calling. He's doing the Lord's work. And that's why Paul said, you that are saved, you ought to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. You may have a secular full-time job, a manual labor job to provide for your family, but you've also got a spiritual Emmanuel labor job, and that is to minister to the saints of God. Now, Jesus' point here is this. Watch this. Here's what he's driving at. The thing that keeps the wise servant pure and faithful is his undying expectancy of the master's return. That's the point of the parable. What kept this first servant right and pure and ready for the master's return? Because he never lost his expectancy that the master would return. John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, listen to what he said next. And he that keeps this hope in himself purifies himself. So as long as you're expecting and looking for his return, it purifies you because, you know, he could come at any moment. I told you we have dogs. We have three dogs. I love dogs. We rescue dogs. Some Christians should be like dogs. Christian dogs forgive. They don't hold grudges. You can be mean to them, and they come and lick you anyway. They, 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 they just love you. Now watch this. We have three. Two of them love Kathy more than me. I'm okay with that. I've taken it to God in prayer. They, they love Kathy more than me. When she comes home, it's like the second coming of Jesus every single time. They jump, they twirl, they yap, they just carry on. And, and that used to, I used to feel kind of cut out of the picture until I got... Maxie, my little Yorkie. Oh, my Lord. Those guys are creative. That looks, that's, that looks a lot like him. Is that him? Oh, that's Max. Excuse me a minute. Max. <laughs> i tell you, that wasn't until this service. Y'all are blessed to see Max. Now, take his picture down. I can't think. Now, watch this. I am the alpha person in the house with Max. Max loves me, and, and I'm good with that. Now, here's, here's what Kathy told me. She said, Jeff, when you leave, Max positions himself where he watches the door that you walked out of. And he watches that door, and he won't eat good, and he won't really pay much attention to me. And, and his ear is peeled for the sound of your car coming up the driveway. And he will sit there for hours on end waiting for you to return. He's a good dog. <laughs> He's a smart dog. 
And, she, and, and then when I come home, he goes crazy. He bounces like he's bouncing. He springs in his feet. He bounces, he twirls, he yaps, and he will not stop until I pick him up and let him kiss me, let him lick me on the cheek. He won't stop. He won't act normal until I have received him. He is thrilled to see me return. Now, one day it hit me. He does what we're supposed to do with Jesus. See, he's got one eye peeled on the door that I left out of. He's looking at that door. He's listening for that door. He's listening for my car. He's He's got an eye peeled and an ear tuned. And as soon as he knows that I'm anywhere near, he perks up, he gets ready to greet me. He's ready for my return. And he does this every day. Now, here's what this parable is teaching us. That this first servant was this way. His eye was peeled. No matter how long the master had been gone, his eye was peeled on the return. And he waited, and he listened. And when the master returned, he didn't say, "Uh uh-oh, but he said, hallelujah. And he acted kind of like, listen, the church that's really waiting for Jesus is going to be just like Max. Boing, boing, good to see you, Lord. Hallelujah. Do you know that the last thing the Bible says is, even so, come, Lord Jesus. That's the call and the cry of the true saint of God. So Jesus is saying, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, finds so doing. Feeding, nourishing, blessing, and caring for the members of the master's household as he left instructions to do and looking for his return. Folks, he's coming back, and you're either going to be glad or sad to see him. Amen. Amen. So we should all go out determined to be like Max. Right? Now, next in this parable, we've got a wicked servant. Now, Jesus tells us why this wicked servant is wicked. What did it to him? Something happened, and we read that one day, one fateful day, he said something to himself that altered the course of his life. Let me tell you a little secret about life. The person that matters most that you listen to, aside from the Lord, is you. Because every day we talk to ourselves. And we can either run ourselves down, we can either, we can deflate our potential, we can say things to ourselves like, I've made too many mistakes for God to love me anymore, or I can never go on, or I'm not lovable, or I'm not usable, or I have no potential, or I really don't have much hope for a future. I've made too many mistakes. I've burned too many bridges. God's probably left me. You can talk yourself right into a hole. That's why David said, talked to his soul and said, why are you disquieted within me, oh my soul? He talked to himself. And you've talked to yourself already today. Or you can say something like this. There is therefore now no more condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus than I'm in Christ Jesus. And I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And I am not going down, I'm going through. God is going to take me to the other side. If he brought me to it, he's going to take me through it. I believe that I am walking with the the winner of all things, and having a winner inside of me, I'm going to win as well. I, I, am gonna, I, I am excited about what God is going to do today. I can't wait to see. You can talk to yourself that way. But this servant 
talked to himself, and Jesus said he made one statement. My master delays his coming. That's what he said to himself in his heart. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, what I say to myself, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So it matters what you say to yourself. And he said to himself, my master delays his coming. And the minute, the minute that he ceased to expect the return of his master, he changed. And his life went in a trajectory that ruined him. So we see from this parable, Jesus is saying it's very, very important that you never lose sight of my return. Do you know there's churches that don't even preach the return of Christ anymore? They won't even go to the Bible and preach this. They don't believe it anymore. God help them. God forgive them. That's heresy. The great hope of the Bible is that Jesus is coming back. Now his backsliding, his backsliding manifested in two ways. First is the way he treated other people. As soon as he said, my Lord delays his coming, and he lost his faith in the master, and he went off on his own, he began to mistreat others. Jesus said he began to beat his fellow servants. He began to, instead of blessing God's house and administering the spiritual things of God in God's house, he began to beat and abuse his fellow servants. Do you know that the closer you get to the Lord, the better you treat people. And the further you get away from Him, the worse you treat people. Have you ever noticed that? Look at our world now. They've rejected Christ. And what is happening in our world? Violence everywhere, abuse, lying, deception, all kinds of awful things, one man to another, one woman to another. When you get away from the Lord, according to Jesus Christ, you begin to mistreat others. He began to beat his fellow servants. That's why when you walk with the Lord, here's what happens. You begin to grow fruit, love. That's the first one. Joy, peace. You're more patient with people. You're more kind. You're more loving. You're more forgiving. Because knowing that he forgave you so much, you can forgive others. And so you're kind to people. You, you believe in them. You don't hold grudges. You let offenses go. You forgive as you're close to him. And it's not hard to bear fruit. You just kind of have to hang there. How is it, does an apple come about? He just hangs on the branch. And what is in the branch comes into the fruit. As you and I abide in the vine, what's in the vine comes into the fruit. So we produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. Against such there is no law as we just walk with him. So he began to abuse people as he lost his faith in Jesus. And then the second thing is backsliding affected his personal lifestyle. Man, did he go down. Jesus said he began to eat and drink with the drunkards. What a tragedy. This servant had been in the house. But when he lost faith in the coming of the Lord got his eyes off of that and said, well, you know, maybe he's dead. Maybe he didn't mean it when he said he was going to come back. So I'm just going to live the way that my flesh wants to. And here's what he did. He took his eyes off of the imminent return of the master and he chose ungodly companions. Let me tell you something that's true in life. 
Tell me who you run with, and I'll show you your spiritual temperature. If you hang around with people that, ah, you know, the Lord, I can take it or leave it, or, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in the Lord, but they're living in the flesh and walking in the flesh, that tells me where you are. Because you're never going to run with people who are going to convict you. Or you say, man, I walk with people who pray. My friends are people that, uh, that seek God, that love the Lord, that want His best, that are pursuing Him, that can't wait to worship Him, and that are in the Word. Then I said, that tells me everything I need to know about you. Because birds of a feather, they flock together. I don't ever see a flock of crows with a cardinal. Birds of a feather always look for the same bird to run with. It matters who you run with so much, folks. And don't say to yourself, oh, I'm going to run around with these people. And they're kind of, they're not really walking, but I'm going to bring them up. No, you won't. If you hang around with them too long, they're going to bring you down. Just ask Solomon. I'm not, I love you. I'm not here to judge you, but I, but I want you to be wise. So, but I got so much in common with them, Pastor Jeff. The number one thing you need to have in common with them is their walk. That's the number one. Number one criteria. And you ladies who think your love is going to change a man. Oh, I met this wonderful man, and, and I'm going to marry him. Now, he's not where he needs to be, but I'll get him in church, and I will change him. Oh, dear. Can I speak out of 35 years of counseling? You are in a pipe dream. There is no guarantee you will change him. If he's not walking with the Lord, here I go. Get out! That's free. I may have just saved you thousands of dollars in counseling. But this second servant, he soon loses himself in debauchery and sin. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Part of the fear of the Lord is he's coming back. And when he comes back, I want to be right, not wrong. I want to be glad, not sad. I want to be ready, not ill-prepared. That's the message. This wicked servant had no fear of the master. He's come to believe the master is not coming back. Church, I assure you, if you're in this church, you are always going to hear about the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. So we have an eye peeled on the door he left from. We've got an ear tuned to that trumpet that's going to blow one day. The second servant made a fatal assumption. The first servant kept his faith. Jesus is stressing the danger of being caught off guard in an unprepared condition. Can we stand together today? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm looking right at the choir primarily. But here's why I'm talking to the choir about this. Because you've got a message for people that are lost. You know people I don't know. You know people I'm never going to meet. And you have a treasure inside of you. I got a two-page letter sent to me from a guy that I don't know. He's never been here. But he said he, he was an alcoholic. And he was in a real crisis in his life. And the crisis was making him want to go get a drink. So he got into his car. He sent me this letter. He got into his car, and he was driving to the liquor store. 
and he was flipping channels. And all of a sudden, he heard somebody talking about the danger of temptation, and he stopped. And this person was talking about how you've got spiritual weaponry at your disposal, and you do not have to yield to temptation. And he pulled his car over, and he listened, and it was our church. It was us. It was me preaching on temptation. And he said, I turned that thing up. I didn't know who you were, but by the time the message was over, I was turned around. I did not go to a liquor store, and I got my life right. And he said, now I'm happily married, and I'm free of alcohol. And he said, I want to thank you, Pastor Jeff, for the word that came out. Something. So, you know what? God can help us. I want us to lift our hands today and just say with me, say, Lord Jesus, I want to be like the wise servant, ready for your return. Help me to administer meat, the good things of God, to those of your household. And help me, Lord, to keep one eye peeled on the horizon, waiting for your return. That when you come, you will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, Lord, I come to you with this church family. Lord, we all know people that aren't in the light, that don't know you, and we pray today that you will grace us and help us to share the good things of God with them and with others in the house of God. Lord, let this church become mightily influential for Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for positioning us right here as a light, a city set on a hill. In the name of Jesus. Now with your heads bowed.